Well, good morning and uh, welcome. Oh. I've been so blessed today already. Um, I could go home and it was worth being here. Um, it's just encouraging to see a body pulling together and working together and uh, worshiping, praising, and also crying out, trusting him in everything. And so it's been a blessing, and thank you for being here. Um, it's been a while since the last heart message I had. There were several others that God inserted, and so we're back. And I thought I might just refresh a little bit and uh, go over the hearts that I have went through. And uh, first was the Hasselhoff heart. That was uh, that big one. And uh, anyway, these are easily angered and have a hard time showing sympathy. They are considered to be aggressive and argumentative. And they are viewed as to be harsh or cold. And it all, it all stems and it's a result of unresolved bitterness. <coughs> the next is the defiant, rebellious. Defiance controls the heart. They react whenever they sense they're being controlled. Um, th they don't want to give, un they defy any authority. And uh, simple requests are viewed as someone trying to control them. These also have the unresolved bitterness because they were hurt by someone in authority. Submission and forgiveness brings peace and fulfillment. And they neglected. These were emotion emotionally neglected, um, abandoned, and or rejected as a child. The parents have neglected spending quality time. And... I just thought I might hit this a little bit again, is what quality time really is. You know, it's so easy as a father, you know, to spend time with my son or daughter and doing the things I enjoy or doing the things I want to do. And But the true quality time for a child is really when we spend time with them doing what they enjoy. Do we spend time with our children doing what they enjoy? Maybe when it's them helping us, that's not, that's good. It can be good, good times. But the good quality time that really speaks to that child that they're important is when we go out and maybe when they're young, play ball with them or whatever. Just spending time doing what they know I wouldn't do if it wouldn't be for them. That's, that's true quality time. They know they're cared for that way. And one way of healing this is let your spouse or older child that has a, a neglected heart or head hold them non-sexually and tell them how much you love, care, and cherish them. That heals their neglect, when they're struggling with neglect, just feeling neglected again, 
that they feel cared for, they feel cherished. That's what they long for. The self-focused. These have the problem with the hidden pride, focusing only on themselves and their own pain. They also have severe feelings of rejection, depression, and self-pity. As you remember my story, this, this was exactly where I was at, rejected, depressed, self-pity, poor me. Now they can't give and or receive love in the relationship. They have unresolved pride and bitterness in their heart. The rejected love part. They feel unloved emotionally and focus on their pain. Therefore, they can't emotionally attach or give to others. Um, they, Regardless, you know, I shouldn't say regardless. Depending what happens, they always receive it as another rejection. The person didn't mean it that way, but that's how they receive it. They, ju they just feel they felt rejected again. And... Uh, when something wasn't quite done right. It's caused when the spirit of a child is destroyed by harsh and unsympathetic parents or high expectations are put on, on them, resulting in disapproval. Um, just couldn't quite do it good enough. Adoption is a huge one in this. It causes rejection. Every child that has been adopted will suffer in some way in rejection because their mom rejected them. It's just, it will just happen. Some suffer more severe than others. Adoption is so awesome. I have two little nephews. But yet, I, I, as I was doing this, I'm going to tell you a little story. We always, we just get a kick out of that little guy. Um, but he, he suffers from rejection at times. And when the children are playing and this is going on, then all of a sudden something happens and uh, he feels rejected again. So we always call it cutting the lines, you know, cutting the rows. He's always, then he's going like this, you know. And what the poor guy is saying, he's rejected again. He needs someone to hold. It's so easy to rebuke at that time. But that little heart is crying out. He's rejected again. <sighs> At times, it can be annoying because he's so glettic. You know, he's, um, whenever I sit down, you know, he's always on my lap. But I can't help but love him because I know, I know what he needs. We can't give enough. We don't know what he's going through. I've always had my mother. But, so we must understand what's really going on. If we rebuke him while he's acting like that, yes, there needs to be correction at times. But we need to understand really what's wrong in there. Why is he responding the way he's responding? Anyway, that wasn't really on the agenda here. Today, we're looking at the uh, moral locked heart. And I just want to assure you, I have put much prayer and thought into this message. I even called my brother to see 
what terms can I use? What can I use in a setting like this? Because it, it's very touchy. And uh, so I want to assure you, I'm doing the best that I know how and what I sense from the, from the Lord. Um, I do not want to use the improper terms of any sort. And I don't want to offend anyone or cause anyone to have improper thoughts in any way, shape, or form. That is not my desire. I am trying to avoid that. So, in that, there's a very fine line and a tall order for me. So please pray while I'm sharing. Because I do not want to hurt you more. If something has happened, Okay, the moral locked heart. It's amazing how a person can emotionally love their spouse of the God, their spouse, and their children all at the same time. But if a person has immoral thoughts or unresolved immorality, the emotional connection is destroyed. <laughs> so the description of the moral. They cannot emotionally love their spouse. It is impossible to have immoral thoughts and meet the emotional needs of your spouse at the same time. I'm just going to use an example but this goes with all immorality. If a husband is involved in pornography, he cannot love, emotionally love his wife more than at a 3% level. That study shows that. It's at a 3% level. Then if a woman, a wife, who is involved in the soap operas or romance novels or um, fantasizing about another man or has lustful thoughts, cannot emotionally connect above a 3% level with her husband. We've got to be pure. They may stop their Im immorality, but without cleaning up and resolving the issues, they will still experience around 80% of the consequences if it's not cleaned up. Is it any wonder the marriages suffer today? They only care about their wants and needs. You see, there was a time in my life. I'm kind of glad when this heart is over because I've had the uh, neglected and the... Uh, self-focused and the uh, rejected and now it's the moral. These were all the hearts that I had struggled with. And uh, I was so bad and it was maybe at the uh, 13. I was so immoral that I I was to the place where it was just all, I was scared. It was just, I'm not even human anymore. But you could only 
care about what I wanted. But yet, it got to the place that I didn't want it, but yet it was still happening. Frustration. The question I have, is the sin that we live in, that we habitually commit, if we live in this sin, is there any sin that is worth going to hell for? Because if we are living in a sin, I'm not saying that we happen to fall. I am saying if we are habitually living in a sin, that's, we're not going to make it. I don't care how secret you are. If we are living in a sin, we're lost. We'll say that for later. The causes. What causes a moral outcard? Being introduced to pornography or molesting at a very young age. When I was eight is when I was um, introduced to immorality. In one way, I was shocked. It was just, I didn't know what to do. I wasn't taught. Everything was just silent. You mean, I didn't know what to do. Then from around 9 to about 12, I was, in a, I was involved in this boy-girl relationship that was morally wrong. To some, I was seen as the bad guy. But what they didn't know is I was asked. And that is also a pain, an abuse. I felt so dirty and shamed. Yet at the same time, see, with my rejection, I felt wanted. I felt needed. I felt accepted. Another cause is being sexually molested. We may think we are exempt from this, but this is a real stronghold in the circle of planar churches. It's sad, very sad. I know of numerous ones, but I, I know there's far more. There are many children who are molested by their own dad, their own father. And that should never happen to any child. Never. And that child starts blaming themselves. And it's devastating. I was friends with two guys at their house often. Never knew anything was going on. Later finding out that his dad, that yeah, their dad had wronged their daughter, his daughter. She grew up just hating and resenting dad. And 
no one should ever have to go through a horrible thing like that. But it has happened, and I want you to know, stick with me. There's freedom. There's relief. There's peace. There's healing. Being involved in more immoral relationships, another cause. There are at least nine ways Satan attempts to destroy God's purpose for sexuality in our lives. See, God designed it as beautiful, holy, pure. But it's Satan who comes in and destroys it. It's lust, incest, homosexuality, rape, adultery, holotry, defrauding. Here's a big one. We must understand. Please, youth, understand what I'm saying. The defrauding, what it is, is arousing another's sexual desires before marriage. That's not doing any sexual immorality. It's just arousing the other person. That's why I strongly teach hands-off. Hands-off relationship. Because if you're arousing the other person, you are in sin. I'm sorry. That's what the scripture says. No defrauding. Fornication. Bestiality. Violating God's moral guidelines brings neg negative consequences. Some of the consequences we may experience include guilt, conflict with one's spouse, feelings of rejection, inability to show sympathy, lying to cover moral failure, distrust in the marriage, inability to communicate, financial loss, Proverbs 5.10 and 6.26, calamity, 2 Samuel 12.14. That's where David, with um, committing adultery with Bathsheba, took the life of the son that was born out of that. It brings calamity. Lack of respect for one's spouse. Man, if you don't honor your wife, your prayers will be hindered. 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. If we're not honoring our wife, and we're involved in this immorality, that's why our prayers aren't answered. They're hindered. Moral impurity opens the door for the enemy to severely attack the family. We leave an open, wide-open door. It's not worth hiding. It's not worth it. It doesn't just affect us. Our, let's say there's someone who has an affair or whatever or commits adultery, it doesn't just, they might say, well, it's just me. I'm the one who's going to suffer. No, your family's going to suffer. Their family's going to suffer. And it affects the children and, and on. Third and fourth generations at times. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. That sin is not worth going to hell for. And here, I want to be very careful how I state this. If you habitually live in sin, I question your new birth. What I mean is, since you have experienced the new birth, what's your life been like? Have you been 
living, then you fall. Then you live, then you fall, then you live, and you just stay on that plateau. I'm sorry, but I'm afraid you're not born again. Because when we're born again, immediately we're justified, okay? But immediately sanctification starts too. So then, now the righteous will fall seven times and get back up. I'm not saying we can't fall. What I'm saying is we're living and then we fall, then we get back up, but then we've learned from that mistake and we climb higher. That's sanctifying. And then we might fall again, but maybe not as far. Then we get back up, we've learned again, and then we're higher. That's the trend of a new birth. If we're just flat fall, flat fall, flat fall, I'm sorry. I really don't have a lot of hope for you. Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. These words are the deciding factor between being saved and in enjoying heaven at the end of life or lost in eternal destruction. And I'm not judging. Please, don't take it as that. I'm only telling you what the truth of God's word teaches. And I want to bring out more scriptures. See, we are made of three parts. It's the body, the soul, and then the spirit. And when we're born, we're this carnal being. We, we live off of the body. We're out of the five senses. You know, when a baby's born, what happens? You know, they're, they just cry when they need something. Why? Because it doesn't feel right. And they pursue feeling good. And that's what we do when we're a carnal being. We, we pursue things that feel good or sound good or look good. And at that moment, what I call the spirit is there, but it's in a dormant state. And then when uh, God then draws us, and that awakens the spirit, it comes alive. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. That quickened is, for you he is made alive. So what is he made alive? Your spirit has now come alive. His spirit is witnessing with our spirit. And then we start living off of and out of the responses of the spirit. That's why we're a new being, a new creature. We repent from living in sin and start living by faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not a work with any man should boast. So the evidence of the faith, I'm going to bring a little faith here, is in uh, Romans 8, uh, 10, 8 to 10. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we preach, which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead you will be saved for with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation with the heart one believes unto righteousness when we are tempted with sin we can boldly say 
if we believe this, we can boldly say, by my faith in Jesus, I am dead to this temptation. Please remember this. If you struggle in sin, remember this little line. By my faith in Jesus, I am dead to this temptation. That's how we can overcome these temptations. Because you've just reassured the Spirit, you're listening to Him. And you're, you're um, focusing on the Spirit, rather than, oh, it would feel good. Because by faith, we'll go to Romans. Jump down. Galatians. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the scripture I wanted, that by faith we can say that line. That I am crucified with Christ. You know, our flesh, we've got to see our flesh in the neighboring graveyard. And if we can see it there, we won't go there. Because that's where dead people are. We won't go there to see if we can get some life out of there. It's all death there. And Romans 6 also says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Is our walk are we walking in a newness of life? Or have, are we clinging to some of the old habits? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Has all become new? That's one thing we must... I'm afraid we haven't taught, or I haven't been taught strong enough on this that all things have must come new. You cannot hang to any old. There was a time I was searching and it was just I know I must be born again but I don't know what it is. And I was at a baptism and the one preacher came across it and you know being born again what is that? All right, today I'm going to hear it. And he said, I don't know, but I know one thing, you must be born again. I was devastated. And to me, it, it, it's sad because it's so important. We must know what the new birth is. It's not just being part of the church. It's not just changing your clothes. It's not changing your actions. That might be a part of it, but it's not what causes you or brings the new birth. It's not that. It's the new being. Your spirit has now come alive, and we're now operating out of the spirit. We're a spiritual being. The flesh is gone. That's where we need to be. That's what it's teaching. Old things are passed away. It's gone. When something passes away, is it supposed to be coming again? No. All things have become new. When we are buried and then we go and live with Jesus, all things are new. Okay? That's what we need to do now is allow our flesh to be buried. It's gone. 
And it's not saying we can't go to there. We can, but it's our fault. If we go back into sin, that's our fault. We must get this straight because it's so important because if we're not born again, we're lost. You must be born again. That's Jesus' own word. See, there's many, many who say they're a Christian, but they're holding the devil's hand. Sad. That's actually blasphemy to the name of God and to the name of Jesus. Proclaiming to be a Christian, but they're holding the devil's hand. It's actually what I call, this is my Laverne's version, I guess, is it's glorified carnality is what it is. Putting on a show, trying to do enough just so they feel good, it's not going to cut it. Won't happen. They look good on the outside, but are full of themselves on the inside. They go to church on Sunday, they can feel good about themselves that way, and then during the week, they're back to their old selves. It's a, a daily, daily walk. It's not just a Sunday walk daily. So what should our passions be once we're born again? A passion to worship. We should always be in a worship mode. Because of his great love for us, why, how can't we worship? We're not worthy, but it's because of his great love that he brought Jesus down to us to save us. A passion to grow. Let's not just stay flat. A passion to grow. Let's grow more and more like him. Oh, to be like thee. Pure as thou art. That should be our passion. A passion to obey. If you love me, keep my commandments, is what Jesus said. So our passions would be to obey. A passion to trust. He's so faithful. I mean, what else would we want to trust rather than him? A passion to love. How can we not love back? If someone loves me and just truly loves me, automatically I just love back. Can we feel that? Can we feel the love of God? Can we feel the love of Jesus? That we just, our passion is, oh, we just must love him back. We can't help it. That's our passion. And a passion for wisdom. Lord, give me wisdom. He is, and if we ask, he'll give it, give it liberally. He wants to give us wisdom. But our, is that our passion? Do we want that wisdom? Do we want to know more about him? Do we want to know that we can live better? Or do we just kind of like to put our arm around our old self and we don't really want the wisdom and how to walk out of it? Are we passionate about wisdom. Every born-again Christian should and will have these passions. See, there is a way that seems right, but the end thereof is destruction. I'm afraid that's what I was explaining before, is the glorified carnality. They think they're doing good, and they think they can do enough good. I even heard a brother 
sad. Well, I just hope I can do enough good. And he's a preacher. And I'm, I'm not condemning, please. But it's, it's just sad in my heart. I mean, I, I almost cried out. It's just, it's not going to work. I hope I can do good enough so I can get in. It won't work. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. It's only because of Jesus. Jesus. And if we're clothed in Jesus, then we are enveloped, then we're clothed in his righteousness and holiness. That's the only way we're going to get in. The only way. So, if you're on that road, or living in sin, or have unresolved issues of the past, I don't want to leave you stranded or hopeless. I love that picture. God loves you and wants to forgive you of your sin and wants to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's his heart. That's why Jesus came. So please allow me to show you the way to true freedom. It's only found in Jesus. We must take our sin to the cross and nail it there and allow Jesus to cleanse us from that sin. Just release everything. Just release everything. Because that's really what he came for. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. It's just because of what Jesus did. I can't take you anywhere else. That'll bring you true peace and true freedom. And here's a sample prayer. I think it is. There it goes. Lord, I acknowledge my sinful involvement in whatever the mofair, or use this even in another sin. Gossip. You know, sin is all on one level. We, we see it as, boy, Im- immorality. Oh, man, if someone's pregnant out of wedlock, I mean, that's terrible. But what about the slanderer over here? God sees it all on the same line. Sin is sin. But we are the ones that make the difference. In fact, it's an abomination to him for those who sow discord among brethren. That's strong. So whatever the failure, I put in moral failure because I'm talking about the moral heart. With whoever person, you don't have, you can avoid that if it's just like my involvement in slandering and ask you to break that stronghold in my life. See, these become strongholds. We've got to tear down those strongholds. We can't, but ask God. I ask you to break that stronghold in my life. I ask you, Lord, to take back the ground that I have given to the enemy through my sin, and I yield that ground to your control. I bring my filthy heart to the foot of the cross and ask you, Lord, to wash it white as snow with the blood of Jesus. I want your peace to fill and rule my heart forever. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And if you pray that from true, repentant heart, God is going to answer. It's going to be accomplished. It happens. It happened for me. Just the trash, the garbage I was carrying. I'm free. But it's, if we're free in Christ, we're free indeed. But that's the only way. The only way. Then if you can pray that prayer, 
you will be set free and live with a pure heart. Beautiful picture of all that filth being removed, just as white as snow. I just feel led. And I don't, it doesn't have to be morality, immorality. If there is someone who has been struggling with sin, I don't want to not give you the opportunity. And I won't even expose it. If you desire that I would pray this prayer for you, you could kneel as you would be at the cross and I will pray with you today. If there is a sin that you're struggling with and you want to be, you want to break loose from those bonds and you want to be free, today is a day of salvation. And if there is, I don't know if there is, but if there is, I just want to give that opportunity that you can come forward and I won't even ask you what it is. We could, you can meet with us later if you want to confess it, but if we don't have to know. It's God knows. It, we won't expose you at all. Because remember, no sin is worth going to hell for. And I want to give you that opportunity today. Today is the day of salvation. If you want to, you can come forward.